Hi, everybody. This is Kara Fitzgerald. New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is here every month, bringing you the best minds in functional medicine. And we would not be able to do this over the years without the generous contributions from our sponsors, Metagenics, Integrative Therapeutics, and Biotics Research. The mission of Metagenics is to lead the movement in making personalized nutritional intervention the standard of care in the treatment and prevention of disease and the promotion of optimal health. For over 30 years, Metagenics has been dedicated to scientific discovery, innovative products, unparalleled quality, education, and practitioner partnerships to support lifestyle functional nutrition. For more information, visit Metagenics at metagenics.com. Biotics Research. For four, over 40 years, the foundations of biotics research has been innovation and quality. Their goals remain unchanged. Innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts, and product development with advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques. Biotics nutritional products are of superior quality and effectiveness and available exclusively to healthcare professionals. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Integrative Therapeutics is focused on inspiring a better lifestyle through better health. By providing meticulously formulated nutritional supplements and valuable resources, Integrative Therapeutics promises to enrich your patients and embolden your practice. Welcome to your Integrative Therapeutics. Find them at integrativepro.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. I am really excited, as always, as uh, I am really every month. We, we have a new guest that just shines some real important light on our world um, and helps uh, move our medicine forward. Today, I'm talking to John Weeks. Likely, you have read his byline many times over the course of your career. He's worked in integrative health and medicine since 1983 as an organizer, a chronicler, a speaker, and executive. He's editor-in-chief at uh, the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine, and under his leadership, his impact, the impact factor has risen 53%. Congratulations for that. That's a big deal. And downloads have risen by 200%. Uh, for a quarter century, his integrator blog and related columns have been leading resources on policy and organizational activity in our fields. He has consulted with NIH, the WHO, and the Pan American Health Organization and numerous other organizations on medical delivery, academic insurance, professional, and other um, organizations and policies. He's helped uh, found the Integrative Health Policy Consortium, the Academic Collaborative for Integrative Health and, and the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. He attended Stanford for three years studying history. Uh, four academic institutions have granted Weeks honorary doctorates. He was honored in 2014 by three consortia in, in the field with a Lifetime Achievement Living Tribute Award. He loves stand-up paddleboarding. Um, he loves surfing. He and his partner in all of this, um, Gina Kimball, who is an ND herself, uh, have managed to work from Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and Puerto Rico with their two now-grown children for six of the past 18 years. John, welcome to New Frontiers. It's great to be here with, uh, with you, Carl. It's, there's no time. I mean, this, it's really, it, your work now, like this conversation on the background of integrative medicine is extremely timely. 
um, and I'm glad that we're having it now. There's a lot going on in our world, in the greater world, in the, you know, in the global kind of world with um, just, just we're in many, many transitions and our field is one of them. So you've been paying attention to all things integrative medicine. You've been chronicling it for, you know, almost 40 years now. In fact, I was thinking about it, John. I first reached out to you, I'm sure you don't remember, like very early in my career, I was in my postdoc at Metametrics and there was something that you were writing about that was timely to the lab. And I was just, I was really trying to pull it out of my brain and I couldn't remember. It was obviously, it was on something laboratory science that required, that, that required some dialogue. And so I was put in charge of reaching out and, and communicating with you back then. And I just found you to be warm and accessible and just a key player in our world. Um, so you're not a clinician, and so what, what you know? What drew you to taking on this role? Um, thanks for that question because it's it's useful, I think, for for um, uh, listeners to understand who I am, and it also informs basically everything I've done. I, I came out of um, or into these fields truly based on recognizing that I was a person who. Um, um, wanted to do something in life that was related to change making that was organized around a set of values that I grew up with. And I sort of knew I was going to be doing something uh, like that. And I was introduced sort of obscurely to what was John Bastier College of Naturopathic Medicine in 1983, where, you know, Jeff Bland was on the board back then. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I met the people and went to school on what these really earliest integrative doctors in, in, that were setting a standard in the country uh, were, were doing, I, I just saw basically so much that I wanted to see manifested more in the world in their work of health, healing, and medicine coming forward. And these are things like respecting the whole um, um, respecting both the science brain and the intuitive um, self, uh -huh. uh, respecting the male and the female, respecting traditions from around the world and breaking out of the, um, the monoral and often quite abusive Western male um, uh, reductionist view that medicine had been caught in and a lot of the other thinking that our culture had been caught in. So I came out of a worldview that wanted to see change in those areas. I was not drawn to health or medicine in my life, particularly. I heard about a job at Bastyr and went out and then met the people. And I've, in many respects, been wedded to this process this entire time by finding myself able to meet and work with ever-expanding circles of very fine people who are similarly uh, connected to and uh, driven by a desire to see these sorts of values manifest in medicine, and I would say then through the world. So we'll get to this in a little bit, but it's got to be satisfying for you to sit back and, 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 and observe the expansion of this model. You know, um, 
I, I, I feel two um, kind of opposite ways about all of this. Um, obviously, as we all sit and look at the medical industry in the U.S., mm-hmm. it, it still remains kind of organized around the wrong principles yes. and with some truly horrendous outcomes. Um, and, and that's just in terms of the level of waste that the National Academy of Medicine talks about. It puts in the third to 50%, the amount of overtreatment that goes on, the, the resistance to looking at things in non-reductive ways, and then just the fact that if you know as a patient, you just don't get the kind of treatment you want to as you move through the industry. It behaves as an industry rather than as a healthcare system. And so I look at all that and say, my God, what have we done? We yes. had you know, all this time. We haven't really bunched that thing. But then I can sit back as you just were there and remember, you know, what it was to be as externalized and turned into a quack and a fraud in the way that the media policy, everybody was turning us into that in the 80s. Yes. Um, when, when we were already articulating the same things that are coming forward and being adopted now. Um, so it's really just kind of a split lens on, on um, the decision to move into this field with my, turns out to be my life work. Right. Well, it's, that's understandable. I could just continue this. It's a good line, but I want to just move through our structure so that we touch on all of the you know, all of, I think, the important points that you can bring to this conversation. Why, so with that in mind, I mean, why do we as clinicians, most of my audience's clinicians are clinicians, why do we um, care about paying attention to policy? Um, why do we care about our history um, and the various organizational activity in our movement? So um, I've, I've come to realize that you know, as you know, in, in any one of the professions, whether that's functional medicine or naturopathic medicine or acupuncture or academic integrated medicine, there's a subset of people who care about the organizational work and the political work. Yes. And what I've discovered is there's kind of a subset of them that cares to look beyond their own boundaries at the broader movement that each of these different professions is part of. Uh-huh. Here's, the, here's my answer, is all of us operate in a context. We operate in a policy context. We operate in a payment context. We operate in a context of some more or greater or lesser level of respect and authority. And typically, the changes that are made to that environment, those environments that, that kind of uh, shape the amount of freedom and flexibility that, that we have rest on, on policy changes. And policy changes rest on counting votes. Yes. And counting votes and getting the outcome you want is a result of organizational activity. So it may be abhorrent to you, but what you're able to do um, is, is and, and who you're able to reach, which is really an issue with functional medicine, is how many populations have access to what it is you're doing. Yes. Um, that has to do with changing policy and changing perspective. And, and that work 
typically comes through organizational activity rather than individual activity. Right. Um, so the subset of the subset. Uh, it's still on this call on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> hurting us hurting us this 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 growing group of cats together so that we're mm -hmm. as unified as possible in our vision and can and can shape policy um as as we were you know dialoguing about before with um you know regard to racial integration serving our the underserved and just making this the standard of care um, we mm -hmm. do as clinicians, regardless of our wheelhouse, regardless of where our calling lay, we need to be supporting the folks who are doing this organization. So anyway, I just want to thank you for that. Yeah, and I think that that's a good point, is if you don't, if you're not going to give yourself, and this happens in regular politics, do think about being a member of the organizations. Honor them for what yeah. they do. Might not do everything you want them to do. You yes. might be upset what they've done at some point. But yes. they're actually your best voice. Yes. They're a reflection of you. And what they do will reflect on you. And the more that you ante in, the more that we behave as larger groups. Let me give, before we leave this, let me give an example. And it, it'll explain something about why I have given a lot of my time in the last 20 years to, to trying to form larger consortia mm -hmm. of interest in the field is... So some of us um, were um, began to be engaged with the federal government in the late 90s. Um, it was the first we finally got the Office of Alternative Medicine at the NIH had a bit of a perch in 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 the federal government then. And Tom Harkin, who was a senator from Iowa, um, and our our champion, uh, turned to a bunch of us at one point and said, "Listen." If you all want to have any influence up here on the Hill, it would be best if you all come together and figure out what your shared issues are and come together as a joint force rather than us listening to just acupuncturists or chiropractors or naturopaths or massage therapists. Mm -hmm. But what is it that you have in common that you're trying to advance in health and medicine? When you come forward in that sort of a format, you're actually representing a much larger group for the naturopathic community. As you know, if you're only, back then it was about 3,000 doctors, you're not a very large force and the license only in a few states back in the late 90s. Yeah. But if you're actually acting as part of a consortium with the other players in the field, then you're actually talking about, thanks to how many licensed massage therapists are, about 500,000 licensed people. And there you've got some meaning, right? If you start thinking about if, if that group of people can begin to work together and figure out how to access their patients together towards a joint goal, yes, you're talking about a real force. And, and so uh, when we, and we've had, I don't need to go through the details, but we have a great deal of evidence of what we've been able to achieve through forming these consortia of professional organizations from multiple disciplines um, uh, to, to move things forward. All right, so on our show notes, people, for we will um, get links from John 
for John, just thinking about how we, those of us who are called to get involved, those of us who want to maybe just donate um, financially, where we would do that and how, how we would do that, you know, your thoughts, your, any, any, any kind of links. Um, do we do it through our right. respective professional organizations or is there a, a consortium? I, mean, I, think, I, think, I think that's the place to start, honestly, okay. Um, okay. Is, 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 to, is to do that. But, but, but let them know that you like them playing. The, um, you know, the Integrative Health Policy Consortium, IHPC.org, is really the place I would send you. They've got a really great executive director now and a great policy person. They are the main ongoing presence on the Hill for our professions. And so that's where I would send you is IHPC.org. Go take a look. Look at their actions. They've been at it a long time and uh, done a lot of good work. Um, uh, Place integrative health into uh, um, the Affordable Care Act has like six distinct separate inclusions of integrative health or complementary and alternative practitioners, which is um, the way we're been talked about at that in, in 2010 when the Affordable Care Act passed. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you've got to show up first and be recognized. And IHP was able to do that in a number of ways. And, and the, the dialogue changed. We're now not talking from outside of the law, but we're talking as participants to an extent in uh, the recognized set of entities uh, uh, federally, and that makes a difference. Yeah, that's very that's extraordinary. So I just you know I'm 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 jumping around, and I want to get to all of our topics because we've got important okay. stuff to. But I have to ask you this: you didn't mention uh, functional medicine, and and functional medicine is you know I'm a naturopathic physician, and I've been mm-hmm. involved with IFM since the very earliest, um, you know, start of my career, actually, when I was a resident and a postdoc, I would do, you know, lunch and learns and so forth at various IFM conferences for the lab I was doing my postdoc in, and then I eventually became faculty. Um, and so, obviously, functional medicine is, is born of naturopathic physicians, but we've also, there's also been, uh, it's, it's, it's been a a good place for medical doctors transitioning into our paradigm yeah. to rest, you know, rest their souls, actually come in for soul rejuvenation. It's, it's pretty extraordinary. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I just wanted you to talk about that, you know, bringing MDs who represent the greater medical paradigm into our world and, and, you know, connecting. And I want to get your yeah. thoughts. Yeah. So, um, great question. And, um, uh, so a couple of things. And one, one reason I think I didn't mention functional medicine there is that for a lot of the period from you know, 2005 until recently, uh, IFM has, has chosen for a variety of reasons to not be you know, actively engaged in IHPC. And that's an internal discussion that might be changing. Um, but part of that, as I've sensed it, is part of the strategy that IFM has had is to say, we may be able to move faster unencumbered by being connected to these other disciplines. And, you know, that's a strategy, and it may have been a good strategy. 
for IFM. But 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 by and large, with policy things, I mean partly you know Mark Hyman has been able to access people like the Clintons and others uh, that he knows through his practice, uh, which has been useful. But um, uh, IFM has any has not, I believe. With with Amy there now, there's definitely a much higher level of exchange going on uh, with IFM, and there are a number of places IFM is now involved with integrative medicine for the underserved, yeah. which is nice to see. Um, has been has a nice connection to the Academy of Integrative uh, Health and Medicine. Um, at any rate, so I think the connections are being made. Um, it definitely is incredibly value as a valued as a crossover discipline um, for for medical dogs. I want to just add something since we're on this, and I had a conversation um, yesterday with some people at the what's called the Whole Health Institute, which is one of the most fascinating things that's going on related to our fields. Um, this is Tracy Godet, who came out of the VA, which we can talk about, um, backed by Alice Walton, who you know is a net worth of $54 billion, to set up this whole initiative to promote the concept of whole health nationwide and perhaps globally. And you can talk that way if you have that much money. Um, right. The reason I bring it up now is they, I just learned that Henri Roca, Henry Roca, uh, H-E-N-R-I, I think it is, um, who has been an integrative doctor who... Uh, got into functional medicine, and then actually went to the VA in Arkansas working as a functional yes. medicine doctor there. I, rem- I know him. Now, I wrote a, I wrote a ta- him. Well, I rode a taxi with him to the airport, and he was amazing. <laughs> he was really interesting, but go ahead. Yeah, I know him yeah, a little well, bit. He's, 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 I, all, of those, all of those things, I know him too. And um, <laughs> What occurs to me is that he would be an interesting guest potential, and this is the reason yeah. is that he's needed to learn how to be a functional medicine doctor yes. in an environment that is not too fond of some of the tests that a lot of functional doctors use, uh-huh. that's not, that doesn't have access to a lot of supplements. Yeah. So he's had to try to figure out how to do that in, the, in that environment, which is... Basically, he's trying to answer the question, how you get functional medicine to the less served, to yes. the underserved, right? So it'd probably be a really interesting podcast for you. Yes. Just, well, it, it makes me think also, too, of, of, of Terry Walsh, who likewise has done some pretty extraordinary yes. work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Yes. Good, good. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, Henry, or if anybody's connected to him, if you're listening, you know, please ping me. I would love to hear what you're up to. <laughs> um, okay. All right. That's yeah. Right. 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 I don't need to go any further than you. But um, this is just great, John. I mean, you're such a you're such a connector. And in fact, you know, we'll talk about Ryan Bradley's um, um, initiative when we get to the end, and you can plug that. But I know that was what brought us into contact most recently, the his COVID nineteen mm-hmm. registry. All right, we'll get there. I want so so among your the many leadership awards that you've been given, IHS honored you um, last February, which was like the last time we were all you know those many of us were actually in person at a conference. It's kind of bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you were given the uh, the lifetime. 
Leadership Award. And um, your your talk at that, you know, is, as a recipient was hope is a verb, 50 years in the furrows of integrative health and medicine. And you talked, you presented it in five eras. And I just want you to kind of give an overview of that and some of the, some of the key points that our audience needs to hear. Great, and uh, I think I can do this, do the five eras pretty briefly. So here's the beginning I staged with the 60s. The 60s, as everybody knows, was a time, who can remember, was a time of a sort of combustive activity with new values and ideas coming into the culture. Many of them I talked about at the beginning that were, are moving through me. The mainstream culture called it counterculture. We called it affirming new sets of values that we want to be running the culture, right? So they, 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 they popped up. What I learned in sort of the phase two was that some people who were supportive of those values realized that if you wanted to take them from ideas into the culture, you need organizations. And the f fascinating thing that happened is by the late 70s, we saw suddenly a rebound, as I knew it, in the naturopathic world when Bastyr was founded, Canadian College was founded. There had been no new schools in 23 years, and suddenly there were three schools in two years. Why did that happen? That same year, the Holistic Medical Association was founded. The year after, the Holistic Nurses Association was founded. The first wellness movement was founded in 77. The first publications out of academic medicine on mindfulness at the same time. So you see that wellspring of ideas began to take form. And then what we saw after that was each of these groups began to work in silos to set its standard if there was a profession to expand licensing, to set, you know, get its accreditation in order and to, to move with it, to put its feet down in the community with licensing and et cetera. At a point in the 90s, via consumers and a survey of consumers, it broke into the culture. Um, it was a Harvard study led by David Eisenberg in 1993 Suddenly, all of the mainstream stakeholders looked and said, these people we've been calling quacks and frauds, <laughs> a third of the people around us are using some of what they're talking about. And it tends towards people of higher income and higher education who are doing this. Maybe instead of writing them all off, we ought to start giving them more credit. This is media. This is politicians. Um, this is insurers. This is hospitals who were trying to reach more people, they began to think maybe we ought to provide some product for them. And inside of all those organizations, the individuals who knew there was value in doing things differently could look around and say, my God, I'm not the only one here who's doing this. And they could come forward with their ideas and they often became champions in these organizations. What developed was a period that I, I've called non-integrated integration. So classically, a hospital mm. says, well, let's, let's throw a bone to the consumer who likes this stuff. Let's set up a clinic. But we really don't want to have to bother our medical directors who think this is still hogwash. So let's set up the clinic out in the community someplace where there's not really any direct interaction. So we don't have to deal with the conflict. So it wasn't being used by insurers also set up these separate products of coverage it wasn't being valued as something that could actually make 
healthcare better by us figuring out when to use it, how to use it. It was something that was created as part of their industrial business model to get more patients or clients, right? Um, or or, or um, subscribers. When we reached that point, we kind of moved into the fourth, fourth phase was, okay, now we've got a shot, we've got recognition. Now how can we have the most impact? And this is where the consortia started to form up in that 2002, 2003, 2004, really all at the same time. There's a consortium of all of the medical school programs that were forming up in integrative medicine. It was about 10 of them who came together in the late 90s. There are about 75 now in the Academic Consortium for Integrative Medicine and Health. The, the naturopaths, chiropractors, acupuncturists, massage therapists, the licensed so-called CAM disciplines, we brought them together. This was a core part of my work into a consortium so they themselves could have a larger voice following what Senator Harkin had said, but also have a larger voice with the integrative MD community um, to make sure that, um, frankly, they weren't treated just as tools or therapies that could be kind of ripped off and added to that Christmas tree, but where you get some of the core value structure of these practices also um, in the integrative process. The last piece really began with the Affordable Care Act, but it began with the change, a reform effort in regular medicine towards from volume to value is what they call it. It's value-based medicine. It's the idea to change the incentive structure so that we start thinking about health, the concept of health, that the focus on what it is as distinct from disease management began to come into the dialogue at the, um, the American Hospital Association. There's big aha moments. Right. You know, for us, we're like, oh my God, finally you're getting there. You know, this was the first thing I learned in 1983, right? Um, but bless them, they're getting there, right? And so I call this last era the era of convergence because it is the first time where you've got the beginning of, a, of an incentive structure that's being proposed by a subset of people in the mainstream of the industry that is now much more conducive to and open to the kind of values that we've been trying to bring forward along along the way. And we're seeing it flourish. And, you know, I just talked to somebody who is running a academic program at, at um, the Connor Integrative Network in Indiana, of all places. And she said, you know, we started off uh, 10 years ago with three referring physicians. We have 1,800 physicians in our network who now routinely refer um, patients for our services this is a sea change, right? That's convergence. Um, that's, 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 that's not non-integrated integration. That's a value-based integration. Right. Yeah, you know what? You are right about it. I think I was feeling my glass was a little bit emptier than yours. But, you know, as I just reflect as a clinician, you know, co-managing with physicians in the very conservative Connecticut, um, that dialogue, that exchange, the respect has certainly 
uh, grown from when I first started practicing medicine and um, you know and the yeah. thing that the signs of change are as simple as you know Harvard Medical School changed its mission from merely saying we reduce suffering to saying we and we, we work to enhance well-being small thing it's huge right it's huge. That, yeah. that is that is a paradigm shift well now, to successfully do that to successfully carry that, out their mission shift. is that's the shift but you need to set the intent first right yeah and that's the mission statement but but we stumble all over ourselves frankly and this is a whole other topic but it's very hard and i can we can bridge over into insurance here if you want to but it's mm -hmm. very hard in our current payment structure to bridge to health um yeah, I do want to. I do want to get your ideas on that because what you're saying is, it's just really terrific and it's really heartening. Um, but you know, most of us have to move to alternative payment structures. We have to move to cash. Yeah. We just we and that by extension limits our ability to serve the underserved who end up getting shuttled yeah. into sort of the reductionist model that still exists. So yeah, yep. speak, speak to that, speak to insurers not being uh, kind of interested in embracing us, even though the evidence of, it seems to me the evidence of cost savings is there, but you, yep. you don't think so. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of evidence. If you go to integrativehealth.org and look under the programs there, there's a, I can, we can put this in the, in the notes afterwards, but there's a whole file of content about, I helped, I helped develop it content about cost that's very, very useful for anybody who wants to be making a case. So um, I naively in the late 90s believed, okay, now that we've arrived, these insurers, they want to cut costs. They're going to be our friends. They're going to be all over seeing how to best use us to do that. What I've learned um, is that while the insurer wants to keep costs down in a given premium year, right? Once you've paid your money, they want to spend as little of it as possible. That's the short game for the insurer. The long game is that there's, a, there's an understanding. It's not from God. It's an understanding between business people that an insurance company should be able to keep at around 20% of a premium for its marketing its administration and its profit okay so that that's been an accepted part of private medical insurance for years that number floats from eight to thirty percent but 20 is sort of the, the number so let's imagine and little math here you know but this is rough in roughly 1983-84 a family of four was paying fifteen hundred dollars more or less 20% of that was 300 bucks that the insurer has to play with. Insurers are financial companies principally. They're not healthcare companies principally. They like having money, right? Yeah. So now we're at 15,000, we'll just say, for that family of four. That's a real number. It's actually more than that now. But if you do the same division, now the insurer has $3,000 to play with, which amount of money would the insurer rather 
you'd be paying for your health care. Right? Mm-hmm. They would rather you pay more. The way it works is that when costs go up, the insurer goes to the state, which regulates them, and says, hey, look, the costs are up. The hospitals say the cost this much. The, the practitioners want this much. We need to have allow, be allowed to have rate increases. So it just keeps rolling forward. That's the long game. So if you're the insurer, you're better off if you're better off if costs go up. Bottom line is they are not incented to care about anybody who walks through the doors and says, I can reduce your costs. They're not fundamentally That's, incented in that direction. Yeah. It's, it's counterintuitive to most of Those are of fighting us. words, right? So if you actually say, hey, look at all these data I've got from you know, study X on how you can save. Yeah, that's, that's what nails on the chalkboard. They word, don't I suppose. care. Yeah, that's right. This is, what Dean Ornish, this is what Dean Ornish ran into when he showed he could turn around, you know, um, uh, coronary artery disease with a, an integrative program that was just, you know, diet, lifestyle, meditation group, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but, you know, basically fundamentally what Cleveland, Cleveland Clinic studying doing in some ways. Mm-hmm. When, he, when, when he started going to, I, I was very close to the people who were trying to roll this out for him nationally. And they just kept getting the door slammed on him. It's like, why? You know, the cardiologist says, why? You, you, what you're saying is you can take my business away? Yeah, yeah. That's, oh. that's on the delivery side, but yeah. the insurer's in the same way. So, so we I have, have these. Yep, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I just, I mean, I've got, I've just got a couple of questions around this. So, I mean, clearly insurance, so insurance is invested in a a disease care system because it's extremely profitable. So what about, what, so where, how do hospitals fit in this? This is, they're also, they also stand to gain in this model, these massive hospital systems that incidentally, I just, I just came up against recently as I scheduled a colonoscopy, but oh my God. Anyway. So, so this is an interesting thing, and it's, it's useful for our field to think about it because a lot of people are kind of opposed to um, government, you know, single-payer government programs. But here, here's the logic. Um, when, when a hospital sits down and does their budget every year, you know, they talk about how much money they're going to, uh, how many procedures they're going to do, how much money they're going to make. So they're actually figuring how many, you know, bypass how many grafts, how many knee replacements, how many hip replacements. And if they do more than the thing that they projected, hey, it was a good year. Is that a good incentive? Right. I mean, that's, that's in it. And, and the way this shows up is that power is in the, the, the very well-paid specialists. When power in healthcare Power in the industry is there because, you know, medicine is like an SUV. You know, car manufacturers would rather have an SUV sell than a Volkswagen bug because your margin is bigger, right? Mm-hmm. The margins are bigger at the high-end specialists than they are in primary care. But if you're caring about health care, you know, then you're, then you're out focusing on the determinants of health, things like racism, 
access to jobs, education, things like that. You see yourself as a clinician connected to social policy in those areas. And then you, as you bring people into healthcare, and then frankly, the VA has the best model for actually doing this. You first want to begin to how to figure out how to empower the human being, how to give them access to the least costly ways to work with their condition. You want to use groups because groups make a lot of sense. There's a lot of great evidence. Yes. It's efficient and it's actually more effective even at yes. the Cleveland Clinic. They yep, found out right. it was more effective, right? Yes. Um, um, and then and you move into primary care and then you move upstream. You know, the, the industry wants to get you in sooner rather than later to the more expensive. And, and unfortunately, we're still basically at a fee-for-service so we're just churning more and more procedures. And the result is, you know, a third of what we do is waste, much of it harmful, and, and all of the overtreatment. So, okay, yeah, yes. we, could, we could spend a long time talking about this. So if Harvard's <laughs> going to actualize their mission, and if we're going to continue to be able to practice, I mean, we can look at some what the VA is doing. In fact, I just had a, a, a nutritionist here. She did our nutritionist training program. She was working at the VA doing some pretty incredible work over there, um, mm -hmm. bringing, bringing quality functional nutrition um, into the mm -hmm. VA. And uh, so I see that there's a little, there's a little crack in it. Um, but is, is that how we do this? Just sort of one, one, one location at a time, one, uh, inter I mean, so, yeah, how does this no, here's, here, here, here's the main thing that, and this is not easy for a lot of, you know, the rebels in the integrative functional naturopathic space to hear, but the reason that the VA is the most inclusive of any actual medical delivery organizations in the U.S., of integrative whole person thinking um, and inclusion of, uh, um, I mean, they, they're calling it whole health, is that they are fundamentally structured differently and their payments, their payment structure is different and the employment structure is different. The VA is, is like the, the British, the UK system. Uh -huh. You not only have a single payer model, but you've also got employed uh, practitioners. Once you have an employed practitioner, you get away from the churning, you know, model, or you get away from at least part of it. Yeah. And, and so you get out of that kind of nasty overtreatment incentive structure. Um, but once you're also looking at that whole population as, and the VA does this, the VA cares about housing and, you know, many things um, for, its, for its people as optimally a good healthcare system would do. Mm -hmm. um, um, so it, so it, it, it's been a, a conducive place for figuring out how to bring in massage, acupuncture, chiropractic, yoga, mm -hmm. mindfulness, and to stage it in a way that you're, you focus it really not around a billboard that says we're patient-centered, yes. but, but programs and educational programs, intention, 
practice materials that are training people to actually, you know, locate their own sense of personal mission so they're more likely to want to do things, you know, as a practitioner, how important it is that somebody be engaged with why they want to live, right? Yes. And, and the VA has this built into their program. There's yes. no reason that Swedish hospital here in Seattle or any other um, uh, large medical delivery organization could not be doing that itself except that it's payment and delivery structure. Well, let me, I, but let me, but, so let me, I'm sorry, let me just throw this out at you though. Here's, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. So I'm from, I'm a Cleveland girl. Um, mm -hmm. Even though I've been in Connecticut for most of my life, my family, the bulk of my family continues to live in Cleveland. And of course, they're all going to the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. In fact, you know, you can't throw a stick in Cleveland without hitting, actually, in Ohio itself, without hitting some sort of a Cleveland Clinic's center. They're wow. everywhere. They, they've just taken over the healthcare delivery, I think, in Ohio, by and large. And one, there's, so my family's going to the Center for Functional Medicine. Um, but the other fascinating thing that I've observed happen just because I'm, they'll talk to me about what's going on with their healthcare is that their non-functionally inclined providers are pretty excited about what's happening as well. And, it's, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and there are rounds being offered, you know, to the greater uh, Cleveland Clinic provider community in, mm -hmm. that include functional medicine. And of course, there's a couple, there, there is the mm -hmm. group practice publication that's coming out, and then they had the other public, the other JAMA Network publication that came out, um, which we'll link to, folks. So it's changing. The, it's changing yes. the way that Ohio is thinking about and practicing medicine. What What are your thoughts there? I, I, yes, it is changing. And, and I would say part of the change is that <clears throat> even if it is still in many respects intention, there is a real deep dialogue being engaged around, you know, the triple aim, the quadruple aim um, around value-based medicine. And so there, the, all, of, all of thoughtful medicine is realizing that things need to change um, um, and so that's, that context is changing, that's creating more openness. The other context that changes, of course, is research-based, that we just yeah. know a lot more about integrative functional practices. Um, and, and, and that's creating um, uh, more interest because we can bring the evidence um, through the door and then there's the old, the, the, there's a bigger and bigger population that wants to do things differently. Yes. And so there needs to be, so there's a bunch of things. There's a new gen coming up that's, that's just more open than the older generation right. was. Right. Um, but, but, you know, this was, this is going on in, in it's Northern Indiana in the Connor um, network at, uh, what's it called? It's, um, I don't know the larger system, but, but I've, I've heard a very similar story. So yeah. these are these things are happening. They're relatively spotty, yes, yet they're having that much of a spread. And you know, you know how much functional medicine there are. Well, how many of all the hospitals in the U.S. have a functional medicine program, right? How it's many? a pretty small number. Yeah, and probably right? you I, could probably I, still count it on one hand, maybe two. I've, 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 yes, and if they're but but how many have one that's 
it's in any way robust, yeah, like the Cleveland Clinic, right. you know, then then there's really one. Um, um, so and, and you know, there's some extraordinary history to how that happened, um, and um, um, you know, in the Cleveland Clinic is inside of a it says like a thirteen billion dollar operation. Um, last time I looked. Um, so that, you know, they're able to have a very large experiment, in many, which in many respects, this is what this is. But it's great to hear. Um, and I really, I honor, I honor the work, honor the model. Love, I love in particular the group um, yes. work that they've done because that's, that is right now the best route for a functional integrative naturopathic doctor to be able to deliver their services in a way that it can be affordable to a broader population. That yes. could be more saleable to an employer, frankly, if done well to a standard, eventually more saleable to any any payers. Um, yes. and, and for you who haven't studied it, what you need to know is that this is not giving less valuable healthcare to right. people. What they found at Cleveland Clinic is they found better outcomes quicker in the early data anyway yes. with the group model than they did in the team model, which is just totally astonishing. It's astonishing. But, but it makes sense yeah, though because, so because they're, it's, it's a community engagement. You know, there's I connections. Totally I mean, there's just all sorts of powerful and beautiful things I, happening. The I, power of the group the power of the group and I, I yeah. you know, if you have, if you aren't familiar with the work James Maskell has done and actually James book on, mm -hmm. uh, on group, they're, they're, they're really, it's a, it's a, it's a nice, he, he's talked to many of the best people in the group world from Jeff Geller, Paula Gardner, Jeff and Paula have a program. If you look it up, we can have it on the research list. Mm -hmm. It's a great direction. Yes. Um, and we, and I, I have a nice con. I have a podcast with him where we go into this and we do talk about the Cleveland Clinic study. I I'm th I can't wait for it to come out, but I, I pr appreciate you circling back to it because it's re it's in a very important ball for us to have in the air. Now, yeah. listen, let me just so there's a lot we can talk about where we're 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 over time, but we're going to just keep mm -hmm. going because I it's a, you're an important brain for me to be picking here. Um, but we're also the other side of this is one of the interesting phenomena that I've been that I've seen and happen in our world is those of us who are involved in training other professionals. I'm on faculty at the Institute for Functional Medicine, but there's all sorts of you know good the good places training good um, offerings for postgraduate medical training in this era and and or in this specialty and and the the accredit the, the CME you know the accreditation mm -hmm. council for for CME has really been challenging us like um we're under a microscope so it seems like it would seem as some in some level we've we've hit the bear um the success yeah, of Cleveland yeah. Clinic you know finally uh -huh. getting into JAMA functional medicine as a term being being out there in the open more and more I mean it's it, so it's 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 also it's it's also kind of scary to see or it's irritating maybe it's not i don't know to, you know to see these big powers really attempt to um maintain the idea you know, the the emperor <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So it's yeah i mean i so 
You know, I, I, we can give, I, I've, I've written quite a bit about what the ACC, I mean, the accrediting agency for your CME um, has been doing and um, interviewed uh, Graham McMahon, who's the executive director there. Um, and and I, I've come to conclude that they, they have been intentionally targeting integrative functional um, medicine um, and that they deny that they are targeting. But I'm so... Um, we can we'll get the links to you um, because I again I've looked into part of you know what you can act on is where you have control of your universe right so one of the things is I I, I do it's my observation that we in these fields do pay play a little fast and loose with the science sometimes you will hear speakers talking about an in vitro study as though it's proven that it works in living humans, right? Mm -hmm. Or there will be a small study that was, you know, got 10 people in each arm of a trial and it'll have a positive outcome and the speaker will act as though we know for sure that this is a done deal, that this works very well. So I think there are ways that we can be much more conscious of what exactly we're sharing. Um, because, you know, there's always been this thing about we've known that there's been science behind what we're doing, and yet these folks have not been recognizing it. And sometimes I think it's not discriminating well enough. Um, I think that stepping forward as a group, this is a place where I think collaborative activity is real. If, if, if IFM is, has a problem and it's trying to fight it out quietly and um, Cleveland Clinic has a problem and you know other people who give CM, CME are having problems and everybody's on their own, it's easy to pick you all off one by one. I mean, IFM's done a good job of fighting it, but if it's a generic issue against a field, then the field needs to stand up and actually go, you know, chest to chest on it and say, you know what, guys, this is not okay. You're holding back something that has value to add here. And so, so there's a willingness to go public with who we are. The real tough issue here and, frankly, around some of the FTC's issues with COVID Mm -hmm. is the fact that so many of our practitioners have pharmacies, you know, sell natural products. And, and as such, you know, you're no longer merely a clinician. You're a retailer. And, you know, in, in the rules around accreditation, in the rules around who gets to speak, yeah. it, there, you end up in a different category. If you're part of the business of selling pharma, which, of course, our practitioners are in the business of doing, even if they're doing something through you know, a wholesaler and, and getting a, a piece of change when the packet arrives in the mail, You've still got an interest in selling the drug or the, you know, the natural pharma. And, and this is, you know, 
And this is something that um, I think we need to look at much more directly. If there's a case to be made for the value and why this should be treated differently, we need to not be ashamed, but we'll be able to stand up and say, this is why we say we're the exception. Mm -hmm. right? Which, of course, I mean, we would argue that that is true. Um, I mean, and... and right, and then you got to stand up, right? And then you got to stand up and say, okay. I mean, we do argue that. I've heard it, and I've published on it. Maggie Beeson actually was rather wonderful. Naturopathic doctor's got a very large clinic in Yellowstone, or excuse me, in, in um, um, Billings. But she just said, you know, we don't, we don't have, we don't do procedures. Mm -hmm. And we need to make a living. Mm -hmm. And that's what right. we have is this thing we do on the side. And, and I think that's a very good argument, honestly. Yeah. But you've got to bring it forward, honestly. And then you've got to start, you know, thinking about what's the structure around that that can protect the public from people abusing that relationship. Yes. Because, you know, it can be abused also. Yes. Geez, that's a very very good, very provocative, very important point. We talk about that here. Um, yep, it has impacted, like I was going to present at the American Nutrition Association, but I'm not because um, we've got a few products for sale on our, on our website. Not much, but um, yeah, uh -huh. I won't be. I won't be this year. So it's yeah, it's been in. It's it's something that we've we've thought about in our, in our practice. And the other piece. So in addition to it being a revenue stream that's essential uh, for survival, uh, the other piece is that there's energy involved in vetting products and you know all of yeah. that. So yeah, but it is. But that's the case, right? Yeah, that, that's the case. You know, yep. that's the case that you need to make in this mm -hmm. regulatory context that we have around natural products. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the best consumer needs a vetting, you know, support to make sure they get, I mean, you gotta, you gotta be able to make it. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, um, you know, just the, 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 for those of you who follow the issues with the FTC and COVID and the sort of, you know, the crackdown and the silencing of doctors, a lot of the silencing has to do with the silencing of the doctor as pharmacist, you know, the doctor as a retail product seller. Mm -hmm. Because the FTC views you very differently. If you are a doctor who is saying, you know, you, you should use vitamin D against, you know, to limit your chances of having, um, get, getting COVID or it having a negative and its worst impacts. But if you then also sell that vitamin D and go right over here and get it, they don't like, they don't like you talking about it if that's what's going to happen next. Right. That's right. And, and that's what, that's their logic for the muzzling. And so, you know, that's the issue that again, as we get stronger, you know, you do, as you started this out, as we've gotten stronger, we've become more visible. Yes. And there's more pushback at a certain level. Yes. But it's also calling on us to stand up for what we say is our distinction. Right. We need to stand up for why we actually look at the use of science differently. 
that if you've got suggestive evidence of something that does not have harm attached to it, mm-hmm. that's then right. we think we think we should try that. Well, that's a paradigm and a way of thinking that's not what people are taught in medical school. Right. That's right. So we have to stand up yep. and stand up as a as a as I think optim- optimally, you know, as a set of organizations that yes. all are representing the same philosophy here. Then you're, then it's much more meaningful, mm-hmm. even than if just IFM did it right. Yeah, you're making a really good argument for that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If it's all of us as individual providers going it alone against FDA and FTC, you know, or just one small organization like ANP or IFM, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the voices, the voice of many is, is stronger. I do agree with you, though, and want to underscore the importance that we really practice the best, most evidence informed medicine and that we don't make claims and then we look at the literature carefully and critically and present it accurately i'm i'm absolutely in favor of that and i i'm 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 happy that you know, IFM has really, you know, is, 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 we've always, we've always been actually pretty buttoned up and, and we are just continuing to just look at that. Mm-hmm. And, and we try yeah. to practice that here in our, in our clinic as well. It, 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 it just, it feels more satisfying and we're able to engage in a conversation with a degree of academic rigor, you know, when we yeah. adhere to, you know, a certain set of scientific uh, a certain scientific structure, you know, a certain set of, of, of known. Um, you know, uh, to just really ground, ground this, if I'm a patient and the doctor says to me, you know, this herb has some fascinating lab studies that shows its antiviral activity. And, you know, let's say that, okay, maybe it was, there's some antiviral against COVID. And, we don't know, frankly, how it is with humans, right. but we do. Not. And in that context, I think because of the safety data we have, that it's okay for us to give it a try, but that, that's where we are. Are you interested? That's right. That's right. I mean, there are human thinking about COVID and botanicals, certainly there are botanical studies that have occurred in, in, in China in the SARS cove, the first SARS, and there are um, historical mm-hmm. uses of, of many of those botanicals. So there, there are data, but just not for COVID. COVID is in vitro. You're right. Yeah. So there's and, that, a, there's, and again, that's the, that's the thing is that because it works for another virus doesn't mean it works for this one. Um, and, and so and that's just, again, respecting what we know and what we don't know. Yes. Yep. That's right. All right. So listen, we've, we have just, we've come to the, to the, to the end of our, t- our <laughs> time, but I'm, I'm going to, I know, but I'm going to take a few more minutes here. One is I just want you to give a, a shout out to the COVID-19 support registry and, and we will link to this on our site folks, if you're interested in, in submitting. Um, yeah. And then you're stepping down. I, I, I just, you know, you're you're stopping uh, publishing the integrator blog, and you're stepping down as JCM's editor um, at the end of the year. And so, I want to know what's going on with you. I mean, you're, you know, just what you've what you've offered us today has just, you know, just a, kind of a the, the the top of the 
<laughs> the iceberg of who you are, of what you have in, in terms of just really chronicling our world for the last almost 40 years. So I want to know what's going on with that and what your next adventure is. So those two things. Well, thanks. Well, first, just, um, uh, you know, going the, the first level of, of, of science and sort of pre-science is actually just to know what's going on out there. And mm -hmm. we know that around the world and in the U.S., many people are working with a variety of different nat natural agents, therapies, practices relative to directly addressing COVID and 19 and, you know, trying to prepare people so they are less likely to get it and or helping them after they've gone through a tough um, bout um, to come back. And um, so Ryan Bradley, who's a you know, colleague of ours at um, National University of Natural Medicine, set up a, um, it's a tr traditional complementary and integrative health and medicine COVID-19 support registry. And for any of you who have any of these patients, he's just gathering basic data. It's case data on what the person present with, what did you, what did you do? And you can go back in and add information later about what kind of effect may have been associated with it, how the patient's doing. It's again, it's the, it's the basic observational level of gathering information about what's going on. What's been exciting is that there, there are some case reports coming in out of Japan through a, a link there. We've linked to people in Iran who've got a set of data coming in. We have, there's an Ayurvedic group, there's a TCM group, uh, there's the naturopathic doctors with the core of it. And then um, uh, there's a group um, um, out of IFM, Patrick Hannaway has been involved yep. in putting together the right language to, to help you inlay your data. So if you, uh, if you Google up, I would say Ryan Bradley. And, the, and actually, if you do- We'll TCM, link to it. It'll be on our show notes. Yeah, okay. But the last part, the last thing is it's, you know, I, I've been in the field for 37 years in various forms, and it's been a, a really a wonderful place to, and a series of places to have found myself and series of communities. Uh, really, I've been blessed with more relationships, uh, fine people um, than, than anybody could ever ask for. And while one is working sort of that hard for that long, um, one doesn't have a chance to look at all the rest of the world. Mm. And I, I, I just entered my 70th year, and um, I, I've got a lot of other curiosities. And so I'm, I decided to leave Jackham, the, the journal, and stop publishing The Integrator um, after it will be 259 issues. Um, and um, just kind of stop, see what rises from within, kind of putz around and do this and that, see what comes in from outside. But um, uh, try to set myself up in the, the best way possible for the years that I have left. I've been using the term re-tire which is like to get new wheels for the yeah. next phase. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's where I'm at. And um, it's been a real sort of sweet and um, 
and warm process this after I've announced uh, um, to be kind of connecting with people. But um, it ain't easy to think about not going to the places where I see the people um, uh, so often. Uh, but and who's going to those places anymore anyway? Um, That's right. Uh, but anyway, I, I, uh, I, will, I will let the spirits tell me uh, whether or not I'll be back involved with health and medicine. I suspect there will be some um, connection but I'm I'm opening myself up. Oh, it just sounds it sounds absolutely exciting. Well, I hope that I hope that you let us know in in one form or another. I'll be really curious to see where the where the spirit guides you. You're a treasure to our field. I appreciate what you've shared with us today and just giving us this big this historical look and you know the exciting things that are happening now, our challenges, which you know we absolutely have the capacity to face and overcome. Um, you're yeah, it's you're just a you've been, you've been a leader and 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 a uh, a guide and a chronicler. So thank well, you. Thank you very much. As you know, you know my closest advisor in all of this work is the person who I married um, uh, 28 years ago, who is a <laughs> naturopathic doctor and MPH, and she is a big fan of yours. And so I was particularly happy to be invited on um, because you you come so highly regarded <laughs> by my closest advisors. So, well, I'm really I'm really I'm honored, and I hope I I have a chance to uh, to meet your closest advisor one day. Thank you so much okay. for joining me. Uh, all right, take care. Bye bye. And that wraps up another amazing conversation with a great mind in functional medicine. I am so glad that you could join me. None of this would be possible through the years without our generous, wonderful sponsors, including Integrative Therapeutics, Metagenics, and Biotics. These are companies that I trust and I use with my patients every single day. Visit them at integrativepro.com, bioticsresearch.com, and metagenics.com. Please tell them that I sent you and thank them for making New Frontiers in Functional Medicine possible. And one more thing, leave a review and a thumbs up on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you're hearing my voice. Um, these kind of comments will promote New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, getting the word on functional medicine out there to the greater community. And for that, I thank you. Until next time.